don't feel bad. You know, I've, I've led singing for I don't know how long, and uh, I'll get up sometimes, and uh, it's a song I've, I've sang since I was a child, and just go blank. <laughs> Be standing here, and you guys looking at me, and, and go blank. So it happens to all of us, and uh, no problem there. That's a beautiful song. I appreciate you leading that. In uh, Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 7 and going down through uh, verse 10 is a parable. It's the parable of the unprofitable servant. And that's what I would like for us to uh, talk about this morning for these short few minutes. But before I do that, I just want to maybe share other, a few other thoughts uh, and then we'll get to that particular parable and we'll study it together. But what I'd like to ask is just simply the question, what is a parable? Well, a parable is just a, a story of something that, that either has happened or could happen uh, that's used to illustrate a point or, or to teach a lesson. And the word parable actually translates from two words. The first word meaning uh, to go along, and then the second word meaning beside one another, to go along beside one another. And so the ideas of, of putting something besides something else so that you can understand it a little better, maybe you can learn a lesson from that illustration. And a parable in most cases is just a, a brief little story, you know, about everyday things, everyday events that, that happen in our lives. They're simple. They're simple little stories. Now, we know Jesus was the master teacher, the great teacher, and, of course, we know that uh, he taught with parables. Uh, but in the beginning of his ministry and in, his, in the beginning of his teaching, he didn't really use parables. He started using parables a little later in his ministry, and he became somewhat known for you know, using parables. And then toward the end of his ministry, uh, uh, he didn't use as many parables. But they're a great way to teach, and certainly, as I said, Jesus is, is the master or was the master teacher. Uh, he is... He, he gave 46 different parables. Now, I have read in other places someone uh, might say that there were 55. I, that number sticks in my, line, my mind, 55 parables. And I, I haven't really researched that. I've always heard and studied that Jesus gave 46 different parables. And maybe someone takes a certain parable and, and categorizes, or a certain story and categorizes it as a parable. But the point is he used a lot of parables, and he taught wonderful lessons with those parables. And you have to be wise to teach as he did with the parables. But he's, the, the, his teachings are not the only place in Scripture where we, where we see parables. Uh, parables are, for instance, uh, found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 26 and verse 9. As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. Think about a drunkard sticking something in his hand and feeling the pain and then correlate that to a fool speaking a parable. You know, just as a sidebar of that, boy, if we could, if we could rid our society of alcohol, could we not just get rid of a lot of, of serious problems that, that we have? But a parable is a lesson that's designed to teach one thing. One thing. Everything in the parable doesn't necessarily mean something. It's just the story. It's the story that's used to teach the one lesson. If we look to Matthew chapter 13, 
it, it contains many parables. One that's very familiar to us, uh, the parable of the sower of the seed. And the seed is told in the parable to land on four different types of soil. And, and you know what? That's an easy parable to explain. You know why it is? Because the Lord explained it himself. So we can just go read what it means to us. And we don't know why the Lord chose to use four kinds of soil in that parable. But he probably chose four because that's just what he wanted to teach. That was the points that he needed to make. Now, you could argue, well, there's more than four types of soil. There's, there's clay, there's sand, there's rocky soil, wet soil, dry soil, fertile soil, and, and, on, and on like that. But those are details that don't matter. That has nothing to do with the teaching of the parable. What's, what really matters is that the Lord used four types of soil to teach a lesson through this parable. And what it means is that that hearing the gospel and accepting it has to do with the kind of heart that you have. And so you pause and you ask yourself, what kind of heart do I have? And so we look again back to uh, Matthew 13. Many of the parables there begin with a a statement, the kingdom of heaven is like something. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that is put in three measures of meal by a woman. So, So what's the parable lesson there? What's it teaching us? Well, it's teaching us that you get the gospel message out there and it will, it will spread. The kingdom will, will grow. It will spread. That's the lesson. You put a little leaven in the bread and, and, and what happens to it? Well, it spreads all through, through, through the meal, through the bread. And so someone might pause and ask, well, what do the three measurements mean? What do they represent? Well, they don't mean anything. It's part of the story. It's part of the parable. And, and, and I've heard and read uh, along the line that, well, the three measures mean the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Samaritans. Maybe. But we don't know that. That's just part of the story. The lesson is, is that you put the gospel message out there, and what happens is it just spreads. And, and another point, uh, someone might ask, well, what does the woman in, in the parable mean? Well, the answer is nothing. It's just part of the story. The message is that you plant the seed, and what happens, it, it, just, it just spreads everywhere. Uh, one person obeys the gospel. They're motivated. They go out. They teach another person. That person obeys the gospel. And that, that person, in turn, teaches and another person obeys the gospel, and it grows, and it continues on. Here's one more, and we'll, we'll, we'll turn our attention to the unprofitable servant here just in a moment. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. We, we are very familiar with that parable. Uh, a very small seed, you take it, you plant it, and it grows, and it grows, and it becomes so large that the birds come, and they, they rest in it, and they lodge in it. So, so what's the message there? The message is is that the church in a given place can start so very small, but yet it can grow and grow and grow and become very big. Take, take for instance, just the ministry of Jesus. It started out with, with just Jesus, and then there were the 12, and then there were the 120, and we, we moved forward to the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 were baptized and added to the church. And then, and then the, church, the Christians were persecuted and, 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 and spread, and everywhere they went, they spread the gospel, and it grew and it grew and it grew. That's the point. That's the point of the, the parable. Church might start small, 
But if we as the members keep preaching and we keep teaching the Word, then it grows. And so someone might pause and ask, well, what do the branches mean? And my response to you is just as I've said, it doesn't mean anything. It's just part of the story. The Lord tells the whole story to get this one message that He wanted to get across. Every parable is that way. It's the same way. And I maintain that our preaching and our teaching ought to be that way. It ought to be simple. It ought to be easy to understand. You know, the Word of God is simple and easy to understand if we'll just study it. Uh, you know, when, when we preach, we don't have to use some unfamiliar speech pattern, uh, for instance, like Yoda in Star Wars. What was that? He, he used uh, object, subject, verb. And I have to think about this before I say it. Uh, much to learn, you still have. You know, we don't have to talk like that to get, get, get our point across. There's a, a certain brother that, that writes a lot of material that's very good in terms of context, but he takes sentences and he flips them. And, and I've studied his writings and, and I've about stopped because it just, I can't get my head around that, you know. I just don't like his writing style. So we can be simple and still teach the Word of God. So back to uh, the unprofitable servant. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 7, if you'll read along with me. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was, was our duty to do. I've heard comments that, that some think this is perhaps one of the more difficult parables and and what does that tell us if if that's the case that tells us we should study it if if you run across a passage that uh, is difficult you don't just skim over it and pass over it and move on to something else you stop and you study it till you understand it and so that's the case here And, and you know we we all need to study our bibles for ourselves every day and you know just kind of as a sidebar to that the thought comes to mind there's no excuse today you know, you can, you can go out to, to many different stores and you can buy a Bible like mine, uh, very, very, very um, uh, affordable. Um, they're cheap, they're accessible. Printed Bibles are, you know, everywhere. And you can put your hands on one. Uh, we have all the electronic versions of the Bible in a variety of different types, types of formats that, you know, are available for for all of our uh, various electronic devices. We don't even have to purchase it. We can go out on the Internet. For instance, uh, there's a website called BibleGateway.com that many of us use. It's excellent, excellent. It's got a a large number of versions that you can select and a great search engine, and it's just a a good resource, and it's right there at your fingertips on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer. And so... There's really no excuse not to study the Bible every day of our life. And I want to be real direct with you about something here. If you're too busy to read the Bible every day, 
You're too busy. You're too busy. You need to know what God has in mind concerning His will and His Word. Back to our parable. There's a servant, he's plowing out in the field, uh, feeding the livestock, all of those things which you do uh, out in the field, and many of us relate to that. Some of us have farms and animals and so forth. And, and so maybe it's toward the ends of, end of the day. Uh, certainly that's hard work, isn't it? And it's certainly hard work in the, in the hot part of the year, isn't it? And so maybe it's toward the end of the day, and he comes back to the house, and he, he's had this hard day, and, and would you think he's tired? Yep, probably. I would think he's tired. He, he's, he's been doing something that a lot of people don't know about in our society. He's been working, doing physical labor. You know. Some people don't like that word, do they? So, so what does the master say to him here? He says, man, you've, you look tired. You've been working so hard today. You come sit down here and let me serve you. Is that what the master says? Mm-mm. To the contrary. The master says, you get my food and you get my drink first and you take care of me and then you can take care of yourself. And then after the servant has, has done everything that is required of him, what, what's left for him to say? All he can say is, I am an unprofitable servant. The lesson that this parable is teaching us is this. Does God want us to serve? God wants us to serve. Does God want us to obey? Yeah, God wants us to obey. Does God expect us to do those things? He does. But once I've done all of those things, I, I can't say, Lord, you owe me. You owe me salvation. Look at what I've done. I'm a great servant. We're not saved because we're great servants. We're saved because we serve a great God. Does that mean that, that, that we don't have to Obey, to be saved, that's not what he's talking about here. All through the Bible, we, we, when you talk about faith, it's always obedient faith. It's, it's always the faith that does what God says to do. For instance, in, in Hebrews chapter 11.30, uh, the writer speaking of, of the walls of Jericho, and, and the children of Israel uh, encompassed Jericho for seven days in order for those walls to fall. Those walls, after they fell after the children of Israel did what God said to do. Not because they had faith only that those walls were going to fall. We're not going to be saved Unless we do what God tells us to do. That, that's how I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be saved by faith after I do what God tells me to do. Have you ever wondered um, 
why God didn't inspire one of the New Testament writers to just simply say, free all the slaves. You ever wondered about that? Why didn't he do that? Well, we have the book of Philemon, who, who was a Christian and was a slave owner. And the book of Philemon is a letter that Paul writes to Philemon uh, and sends it along with a slave who had run away from, from Philemon, had escaped and run away, Onesimus. Now, I just ask you in that letter, did, did Paul tell Philemon to free Onesimus? He didn't, did he? What the Bible tells us to do is to be a Christian and to treat everybody right. Then it doesn't matter whether we're a slave or we're free because we'll all be treated right. And he gives us our own free will to do that. The Bible is a book that we can look to and we can solve some of our social ills by reading the Bible. But it's not a book designed to correct all the social problems. It's a book designed to correct spiritual problems. God doesn't say, for instance, uh, you Christians, get yourself a sign and you go out here on the corner of the road here and, and you demonstrate about something. There's a denominational church that's out in the Midwest that's, that's well known that you see in the news that show up and demonstrate. Uh, and it stands in my mind that they do it at veterans' funerals. For some reason, they do that. And it's, it's kind of vicious what they do. God doesn't tell us to do that. What does he tell us to do? He says, go preach the gospel to every creature. You go change the hearts and the minds and the lives of people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go help those people understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for them and how God worked through all these many years to bring about our salvation. And if we go do that one by one by one by one, we change the world. That's how we change the world. I I didn't ask Brother Jerry Hall's permission to use him as an example, but I'm going to. I'll ask his forgiveness after after service. I'll just go ahead and do it. Um, Some of you may not know, Jerry works in the prison ministry. Uh, He's chaplain at at, uh, uh, Morgan County Work Release. And Jerry has shared stories with me. Uh, COVID this, this past year has limited the work that he's gotten to do in there, but I've heard him talk about prisoners uh, and, and how he has the opportunity uh, to teach one, uh, and he's done so. And, and then that, that prisoner becomes, that person becomes, you know, comes to know the truth, and, and they repent. And, and, and they obey the gospel and confess the good name of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And then they're baptized. And then as, in being baptized, God adds them to the church. Well, he's still a prisoner. He's still, const- uh, he's still you know, in prison. He doesn't have his freedom. But he's a new creature. He's a new brother. And, and, and there's going to be one less person breaking the law. There's a person now inside the, the prison that's a, that's a Christian that's going to teach and lead others. And yes, the world is better because of it. It's a great example. But back to our parable of the unprofitable servant. There's this introductory question about the master. 
in that parable. What does the, what does the master represent? Think about my discussion a few moments ago about the parable. What does the master represent? Well, some might jump to the conclusion and say, well, that's God. But this master is heartless. He's hard. He's a taskmaster. He's, he's, he's indifferent to how weary and tired that servant is. You know, I just ask you, is, is that how God is? That, that's not how God is. That's not what God is. The master in this parable is not God. The master in this parable is just part of the story. The story of the parable is that when you've done everything that is expected of you, you're still an unprofitable servant. And I don't have time this morning. Uh, you could take this in, in a number of different ways. Uh, and I want to stay on a certain track here. But I think this is a lesson on humility and humbleness is what, what, it's, what it's about. We could develop that line of thought for quite a few minutes. Back on track, you still don't earn your salvation. Once you've done everything that's expected of you, you can't say, God, you owe me. You know, you might say, well, Lord, look at all I've done. I go to the nursing home several times a week. I cut the churchyard. I teach Bible class. I lead in part of the service on Lord's Days, and I could keep going on. You're not saved by those things. You're saved because the precious blood of Jesus washed your sins away when you were baptized into Christ. And you serve as a member of the one church, the single one church that Christ gave his life for. But, but look at the attitude of this servant. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. When the master says to the servant, you serve me, what does the servant do? He just does it. He doesn't complain. He doesn't gripe about having to do it. He just does it. What should be our attitude when we read in our Bible something that God says for us to do? What should be our attitude about that? Just do it. Don't complain about it. Don't say, I don't want to do that. Don't say, the Lord has, Lord, it's too hard. I'm too tired. If God says do it, you just do it. Just do what God says. That's what this servant in the parable did. And when the master said, go do something, he just went and he did that very thing. And, and you know, something comes to mind. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I didn't come to church service because I was too tired. We just need to quit making excuses. We need to quit complaining. We need to be at these church services. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you a true servant? A true servant will obey exactly. When that servant came in from the field, the master said, you get my meal first, you serve me first. 
And when I'm finished, then you can eat. When did the servant eat? After his master was finished. Why? Why? Why was that the case? Because that's what the master told him to do. Someone might ask us, why, why do you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Because that's what the Master said to do. You, you folks in the auditorium can see at the front of our auditorium, uh, the folks you know online, if they were to pan the camera back, you could see there's not a mechanical instrument of music in this building. And you heard our song service just a few moments ago. It was, it was congregational singing. Why do we do that? Because that's what the Master said to do. That's why we do that. He didn't tell us to bring something external in. He told us to sing. Back behind me is a baptistry. Large pool of water, and, and that's where we baptize folks when, when we have opportunity. person goes down in that water with the person to be baptized, and they immerse that person in that water. And so you might ask, well, why do you do that? Why do you immerse people when you baptize them? Because that's what the Master said to do. That's what the Master said to do. Somebody might carry that a little further and say, well, why do you baptize people who are only old enough to be accountable to God? Because that's what the Master said to do. You know, I've heard of, of young children coming to their parents or their grandparents and saying, I, would, you know, I want to be baptized, but, but they're children. They haven't learned to discern the truth of God and understand the meaning of the gospel they need to have a comprehension and an understanding about what it means to be baptized. It seems sometimes we get caught up with wanting to do that when the children are pure and they're innocent and they're saved. And sometimes we want to baptize accountable people who've not yet completely been taught and who haven't been converted to the Lord and don't understand the gospel. And don't get me wrong, we want to baptize as many as we can, but we want to baptize penitent believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, coming back on track again, the servant is obedient to God. He, he does exactly what the master tells him to do, and, and you just have to, you have to love that. He submits it, and what the master says to do, he does it. And, and isn't that what you want to do? You're just submissive to the Lord, to God, to what He says. Verse 10 tells us what the servant thinks of himself. And I'm reminded of, of uh, what, what Solomon spoke about in Ecclesiastes. There's this one thing that's going to happen to everybody if he tarries and doesn't, doesn't return before we die. And that is, we're going to die. doesn't matter what your status is. It happens to good people. It happens to bad people. And, and there's just some things that are, that are uh, there has to be something that, that, 
besides just our physical life, the same thing happens to the rich or the poor, the young or the old, black or white. doesn't matter, matter about your status. Same thing happens. Everybody dies. But he also said something else Solomon did. He said, I found out that, that certain things do not bring you happiness. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. You're not going to be satisfied. All you're going to do is want more and more. And then in Proverbs 23, 5, he said this, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. I kind of think the Lord has a little bit of a sense of humor. Because we can all relate to that, can't we? We have riches, and what happens to them? They grow wings, and it flies away. It goes away. It's not about fame. It's not about fortune. It's not about who you know. But what did, God, what did Solomon eventually tell us it was about? In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this... This is man's all, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, I read out of the King, New King James Version. If you happen to have the King James Version, there's a word added in verse 13. And you know that because it's italicized. And that's the word duty. That's not in the original text. That was added by the translators in their minds to, to, to help with clarity. But that's not an original word. If you take that word out, it really, really comes to bear what, what, it, what, it, really, what it really means. Uh, keep, fear God and keep His commandments because this is man's all. It's His whole. It's His everything. Everything. That is what this parable is all about. It's not me. It's God. I'm just an unprofitable servant. And if I go to heaven, it won't be because of Tim Hester. Now, I'm going to do my best to obey God because I know that's what a servant ought to do. You just do it because the Master told us to do it. But if I go to heaven, it won't be because of me. It will be because of God. It will be because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I intend to die as a faithful member of the Lord's church, the church of Christ. We're not going to go out here, I don't care what our governmental authorities tell us to do, and take this sign down and take our name off that that sign. We are a congregation of the Lord's church that happens to meet here at Midway. The church that He blood and we're not going to go out here and start preaching that you're saved by faith alone or grace alone or anything else alone and and, and I say that because there's many things involved in salvation we know when we're saved we know when and we know how Galatians 3.26 tells us the how For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We have faith in Christ Jesus. The next verse tells us the when. 
Galatians 3.27, For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. God's not going to look at you on judgment day and, and, and say, just come on, uh, even though you're an unprofitable servant, just come on. No, we, we know what God's going to say. Matthew 25, 21. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. If you're not a Christian today, you need to be baptized into the Lord. And if you're a Christian today, be sure you're a faithful Christian. I'd like to ask you real quickly, I've got a few scriptures I just want to go through real quickly here at the end and draw, draw a conclusion here. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. I'm going to read that if you would. Read along with me. Romans six sixteen. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This morning what we've been talking about is obedience. And Aaron, thank you for, for leading the songs you led. Very appropriate. I appreciate you doing that. Um, we look at the religious world as a whole today. We find that obedience is devalued. Matter of fact, they, they try to come up with terms. You know, everybody gets a label these days, doesn't it? They call Obedience, legalism. They try to put some kind of negative light down on it. Well, look at what Paul wrote there that we read in Romans chapter 6. I can't see anywhere where he's not talking about obedience and emphasizing it. And so we have two choices. We can obey sin and die, or, or we can choose obedience unto righteousness. And we're going to be a servant to one or the other. And the importance really lies in destination. A couple of few other verses. We choose sin, our destination is death. Romans 6.21 What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Then in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Sin leads you to death. But if you choose obedience, it leads you to righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We go back to Romans 6, verse 17. We see there's a choice to be made. And a state can be changed. We can change from being servant of sin to a servant of obedience. One more passage. 
Corinthians 6, verses 8 through 11. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Those Corinthians, they obeyed from the heart. There was no hypocrisy, uh, no reservations, and, and we're, we're reminded by this of something our Lord said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters. You'll love the one or hate the other and so forth. In Luke 9, 62, there's no turning back once we make the choice. Romans 6, verse 18 speaks of the state being changed, and, and then we are, we are free from sin. How are we free from sin? Matthew 26, 28, by the blood of Jesus Christ. But when? When are we? Acts 2, 38, we're, we're changed and we're free from sin when we repent and we are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to urge you this morning, to choose righteousness. Choose to be an unprofitable servant. If it can assist you in any way in your obedience this morning, please respond as we stand in the seat.